Welcome to Stories of COVID, the interview project that explores what it's like to experience a global pandemic. I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. It is scary and it's very real, but it's not hopeless. As I said, I changed three planes. None of them were wearing any gloves or masks. I've never seen so much support for freelancers or artists in the in the media um, as I have now. They both laid me off from just the advent of the, the outbreak. I'm anthropologist and author Veronica Kieran, and I am building an interview archive of stories and anecdotes that define this time in history to write a book preserving this experience for future generations. If you'd like to help preserve this moment in history for future generations, check out the show notes to sign up for an interview. Brian is a PhD student and microbiologist. You can hear in this episode the clinking of the tools in his lab as he spoke to me from work. He described being part of the cohort that did rapid testing in the early days of the pandemic in the UK. I went on holiday in January of that uh, 2020, but it was around Christmas time, just at, or just at, around the end of the year, that my parents, who were still back in Hong Kong, they were asking me about this virus thing uh, that they heard about, and they asked me if I knew anything about it, because obviously, I'm a scientist, I'm a microbiologist, and so it was sort of up my alleyway, even though I don't do virology. And it was basically, they just, they just sent me some links and asked me what I thought. And um, I just thought, well, I didn't think much of it at that time. Um, it wasn't until a bit later when, uh, in January, when we went on holiday. So I met them up, I met up with my parents for a holiday in January. Um, that's when I started reading a bit more into it. And I think that was when the first uh, Imperial College London report on the estimation of the prevalence in China came out way back in mid-January time. They put out a document that was estimating that the spread was a lot more than official figures. And that was the thing that sort of highlighted me um, through science on through science people I follow on Twitter as well. I was very frustrated with my government, as in the British government's seemingly lack of direction throughout the early months, well, and even continuing on afterwards, uh, the mistakes that they did and then they seemingly repeated throughout <laughs> throughout throughout the months that followed. Um, equally, they have done some good things, you know, with them. Um, I think our vaccine task force has been fantastic. And the way some clinical trials were done in the UK purely because of the way our medical system is set up and the way the research is done. That was, you know, really groundbreaking science and, you know, our genomic surveillance and everything on that front. Equally, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't purely the government that was driving that leadership. It was because they had given that leadership scientists or people who had the vision to push through with, with, with what we needed, which is why things got done. And yeah, it's been really frustrating watching the government and politicians make the same mistakes or not give a good direction. Things are largely back to normal, well, not normal, but uh, restrictions are easing as 
the government has planned. Vaccine rollouts been pretty good. Life is uh, only this week. Was it this week? Yeah, it was this week that restaurant indoor dining was opened up back up again and everything. Yeah, it seems things are largely coming back to normal. People are still, well, from what I can tell, seems to still be still be care, um, are careful with things. But other than that, it's because I still, you know, I we haven't. The only period the labs and academia have shut shut down was back in March, 2020, and I've I've largely been back since September. So I've literally been, you know. Work has always been the same for me since, so I can't really, you know, life can be as, as normal as work can be. Uh, it's just all the social and social stuff has always been missing, really. And there was actually a call out for scientists to help out at, um, at testing labs. So I ended up doing that for a good nearly half a year, five months, six months, and then I returned back to regular academia in September and so for me I've just pretty much been working there hasn't really been time to take time off and this summer I was I was still at the testing lab so I didn't take time off at all because yeah it was essentially it was it was a crazy setup where we were on 12-hour shifts that type of thing back then I was I was still at that testing lab so this was a government-run facility um, that they were, that was essentially one of the first places where we scaled up testing in the UK. I was promoted to a supervisor position. So that was part of the reason why I stayed anyway, to ensure some, a bit of continuity. March time, um, the week before the government actually told everyone to stay at home, we had already sort of shut down. And so we, I was essentially working from, you know, I stopped all my wet lab stuff and I was working at home, mainly doing data processing, you know, computery type stuff. Mid-April, uh, we got an email out saying that they were looking for um, volunteer scientists to help help out run out the testing. Um, and it was basically, it was linked to a form and it was just put your details in and someone would get in touch. And essentially, um, we didn't, you know, some people had heard heard back quickly. I didn't hear back for another two weeks, and all of a sudden, I just got a phone call at the blue saying, "Can you get to here at this time to do an induction for to do this?" And um, so yeah, that's all we did. So um, showed up in a place called Milton Keynes. There was a lot of civil servant scientists that were seconded from government, and then there was a bunch of people from academia, all from. It was varied. There was people that was, you know, professors and head of institutes all the way down to there were occasional undergraduates, but it was mainly um, PhD students, PhDs, postdocs, that type of thing. And so it was all sort of a volunteer role type thing. And pretty much we were, we were the cohort that started the 24 hours testing. And so um, it was night shifts, day and night shifts. 12 hour days <laughs> and we were on it for 20, 24 hours and well we hit the ground running and we were pretty much the lab that boosted the testing capacity up to 30,000 tests per day at the end of April when just you know a week prior it was hovering about 5,000 10,000 something like that. The atmosphere was it wasn't tense but there was an element where everyone felt like there was a mission that needed to be accomplished. I was working beside, you know, people from, from heads of institute, professors with years of experience, and we were doing the same mundane tasks next to each other at three o'clock in the morning. 
that type of thing. So it didn't feel like it was work, but it didn't feel like work. If you, I don't know if that makes sense. It, everyone was chipping in and, and, and the atmosphere was not one of urgency, but it was one of, you know, there, there was a task that needed doing and we were doing it and we were, we were glad that we were contributing to it rather than to it, you know, sitting at home because for weeks leading up to, in the weeks leading up to the lockdown, there were people that were certainly, you know, why wasn't the government mobilizing academia to help out with the shortages of tests and everything? And um, certainly one of the government policies was we're going to stop testing people because we can't, because there's no need to test people. There was, that was one of the government policies that everyone, you know, every epidemiologist, every scientist was going, wait, what, why are you, why, why are we giving up? Yeah. So that frustration sort of carried over. At one point, the health minister, he made a ridiculous goal of saying by the end of May or something it was, we're going to have 100,000 tests per day. And all everyone, all of us there, we just, you know, it wasn't about the numbers at that time. It was all about getting the test to the right people at the right place. And we were really frustrated that it felt like, you know, it felt like he didn't appreciate the, the enormity of the task. And that's, you know, we didn't need a meaningless number to hit. In the end, um, if you look it up, he actually fudged the numbers by counting the number of tests that were sent out, but not necessarily received back in the lab and processed by that time. So, you know, when on, on that day when it happened and he came out, you know, for his press conference going, you know, I'm very happy to, I'm very glad to announce that we hit our testing target of 100,000 per day. Those press conferences were sort of around the time people were waking up the night shift. So that night when we headed into the lab, everyone was like, what bullshit. The atmosphere of the lab, um, I would say, actually shifted between the end of April, between April to June, July, because a lot of the scientists, particularly those in academia, actually started going back to the universities as their universities uh, requested they go back. And that was sort of around the time restrictions were sort of easing and universities were putting plans in place to get people back in academic labs. You know, at, eventually, you know, they had to recruit the lab that we were at, the government had to recruit um, more people to come back in to keep things running, essentially. And so um, we, we were getting more undergraduates or you know, graduates, whether it's undergraduates finishing, you know, for the summer holidays, wanting to get something to do or um, graduates looking for work. Um, so the atmosphere of the lab actually gradually changed between, yeah, between over summer, essentially. Um, because I guess one of the things people thought was, you know, it's just a job, you know, it, it was just a job to them, you know, turning up for a paycheck. Whereas for us, it was, you know, we were, we were, we had, we had Spotify going on in the middle of the night, you know, occasion, occasionally a crazy dance song would come on. Not that we'd pop, drop everything and pause, but there'll be sing-alongs and, you know, stretching off and doing some of dance-offs and things like that. Uh, whereas um, as the atmosphere gradually changed to one where it was more work and about set, hitting targets and getting the numbers, that's when it started to change a bit. There were definitely, you know, teething problems as logistics and, and think, you know, things going wrong in the lab, but it was all about, you know, finding out the problem and problem solving essentially whereas later on there was definitely there was definitely an element of the government said that we must hit this number today or 
etc you know something like that and and it was just not that it was demoralizing but it was frustration at the system i get i think for me practically in in the lab there was a lot of automation that we did as in um the reason why we were able to do so much was because there was there was quite a lot of robots that handled a lot of tasks that enabled high throughput processing in terms of things like zoom <laughs> uh, so i was able to attend remote conferences or hear from different speakers that normally you know you'd have to invite and get see them in person to you know to hear their talks whereas people were you know zooming in or they were pre-recording things and they were happy to share you know so it saved on stuff like travel it's, it's obviously different um but at, at the same time you, you know it was just great to access different researchers without having to be there in person and things like that there was a day because I was actually commuting back and forth at one between shift blocks. I would um, drive back to London, so it's roughly an hour and a half, an hour or so drive from where the lab is back to my flat in London. And during lockdown, the roads were always quite empty. And I think, and I maybe while I enjoyed the quiet roads, I also missed the busyness of having life. For a generation of scientists, it was, it's definitely been, I don't, I want to say opportunity, but it's a, not opportunity, but it's a word, something like that, as in the chats to meet diff, many different scientists of different calibers, of different seniorities. And it was great meeting them because a lot of us are still in touch nowadays and we just, we don't have to talk about our science over it, but it was just more the connection that we've made because of these times and that I think, yeah, for a generation of scientists, it's going to be a thing where they can definitely talk about it in the future um, because it's just been life changing events, essentially. I think in a way it's also inspired me to, because I, I love science and I think it's inspired me that in the future direction after I get my PhD, I probably don't want to stay too, too long in basic science research. I think I'd want to lean a bit more into the translational side of things. Not necessarily doing the diagnostic type work, which I was doing, but um, I think I want to do something that is not necessarily more relevant, but more translatable to the human or the global health aspect of things. So it's more applicable, that type, more towards the translational side of things. And I think it's sort of inspired me in that direction. As in, it's just, yeah, it's just opened my mind to different possibilities where I may not have paid much more attention to it before. Yeah, that I've made friends, you know, that are now, that are all over the UK because obviously, yeah, we all came down to this one central location in the middle of the pandemic and, you know, the roads, you know, the roads were empty and everybody else was staying home, yet we were, um, we were the only ones at this holiday inn that uh, the government had paid for and, um, you know, to and for this tune from this lab at, you know, from, day shifts and night shifts, working over 12 hours <laughs> at a time. And um, yeah, it was just, it's just been, it's just been a, a, a moment in my life that I don't, I don't think I'd ever forget. And it's a good conversation starter on my CV, I think. <laughs> the, the way things were in the UK, so there's that, there was, um, we've got an age-based, age and condition, you know, health-based 
priority list, but I was working near um, one of the hospital labs. Um, well, I was visiting one of the labs near the hospital, near a friend's lab, near the collaborator's lab, near one of the hospitals, and they had leftover doses, and I snapped it up when they came around looking for people. <laughs> so I was actually done ahead of time of my time. Um, I think we're only just getting to the below thirties, if in terms of official officially, yeah. But yeah, I got done. Thank you for listening. Subscribe so that you don't miss an interview. I interview multiple people a week and I am releasing these episodes as fast as I can. And if the story meant something to you, share it because it will probably mean something to someone else. Every time you share the project, it helps the project grow. So thank you. Until next time, stay safe, stay well. <laughs>